You are listening to The Real Faith Stories Podcast, interviews with people who chose to boldly follow their faith. I'm your host, Brian Robinson. Now, let's meet our guest and hear their story. Lou Santiago, welcome to Real Faith Stories. Thanks for having me here. You're known in the music world as an incredible drummer, and you've worked with some incredible artists. And then you had a major shift into medical. And I'm really interested in hearing how the Lord led you into that. But before we go there, please share how you came to faith in Christ and what led you into the drumming world. Well, I was in studying in Massachusetts in a boarding school through an academic scholarship by way of the Boys Club of New York, where it was an opportunity for inner city boys to uh, study in private schools. So, you know, the whole khakis, the jacket, the tie, penny loafers, you know, that's how you went to school. So I was 12. My mother and father called my dorm parent and asked me to come to the phone. And they told me, we're Christian. We accepted Jesus Christ. And they became believers in the Latin Pentecostal denomination. Let me ask you just for clarity. You were at boarding school and your parents called you and they said, hey, Lou, we just gave our lives to Jesus Christ. Right. And I was like, okay, but we always believed in Jesus. Hello. I went to Catholic <laughs> school. I was an altar boy. Oh, no, it's different. And I'm like, what? I was confused, you know? Mm-hmm. And then this is the part that I'll never forget. It was like, don't worry. We gave a list to your dorm parent of what you cannot do anymore. Oh. And that's where me and God got into it. You know, wow. I just stayed angry for the next 16 years. <laughs> How old were you again when they gave you this info? I was 12. You were so 12. For 14 years. Yeah, for 14 years, I lived a rebellious life. And then uh, when I was 16, my father became a pastor of a church. He was working in a chemical bank at the time, which I think is known as Chase now. And he worked his way up from the male room up to the executive floor and he quit his job and took an early retirement you know because that was the only job he ever had he was 19 when he took that job and then he retired when he was 44 and then he did it to offer the ministry so in that church there was a little jacked up drum set that i sat behind and just fell in love with it and started playing drums when i was 16 Then about six months into it, I got into what they call church discipline. That means like, you know, you're always in trouble or you're sinning and you can't take part or do anything in church. Mm -hmm. You know, that was your, I don't know, your sentence, you know. So I stayed in church discipline for pretty much two years. Wow. (laughs) (laughs) When I was 18, I bought my own drum set and I was working as a butcher in a meat market and I saved up money and I was practicing in the basement my parents and i just stayed there for like 12 14 hours a day were you teaching your you were teaching yourself lou i was self-taught mm-hmm. at that time you had vhs tapes you know and i had a friend who who had these professional dr- instructional videos of vhs tapes and i was just watching what they were doing and just mimicking and then listening to the radio you know making your own cassette tapes that you can just copy from the radio you mm-hmm. know so just play along with the beats as much as I can to the songs. And, but church was really where I learned everything. You play by ear and you just find where the tempo is and hopefully stay there. Yeah. <laughs> and then when I was 20, I joined the military. Actually, I joined the military when I was 19. I got shipped out when I was 20. What branch? 
I was in the United States Navy. Okay. I stayed there for uh, almost seven years. It was six years and change. I, I went in when I was 20 and got out when I was 26. And my last two years in the military, I picked up the drums again. And my ex-wife put me in this drum competition without me knowing about it. Really? And, uh, yeah. And she told me that there was this new drummer in town that everybody's talking about. And there's this local drum competition that he was going to be at. And then they called my name and I'm like, what? Wait a minute. And she took out the drumsticks from her purse and went up there. I ended up placing seventh nationally in that drum competition. Wow. And um, I was like, oh, this is it. This is what I want to do. So I stuck with it. And I decided I want to be a professional drummer. And I got honorably discharged from the Navy. And like five months later, my uh, ex-wife told me she was in love with somebody else. And she wanted me out of the house by the end of the week. She decided to tell me that on our anniversary. Oh, man. So so that totally broke me. So I moved back with my parents. But I'll never forget that time I, I, I had a choice. And this is going to come out of nowhere, like left field, as they say, because there's so much more to my life. I was faced with the decision. Either I was going to call the number on a business card that I had in my hand or accept Jesus Christ and have him take complete control over my life. And the business card that I had in my hand was a producer in the porn industry because I did porn while I was in the Navy as a side gig. And I chose to give my heart to Christ and never look back. And then six, six months after that, I won a worldwide drum competition and my career took off after that. What a choice you made. Yeah. Yeah. That is fascinating that your ex-wife enrolls you in a drum competition. You take seventh nationally and then you had a, you got in a worldwide competition. Where was that held? In, in New Jersey. There was, I think it was over, I'm trying to remember if it was 32,000 drummers, 16 different countries, or 16,000 over 32 um, countries. It was one of those two. There was thousands, and I ended up winning. So you decide you're going to go all in on walking with Jesus. Several months later, you win this worldwide competition. What shifted after you won that competition? What happened as a result of that, Lou? So... Part of winning that competition, you were invited to perform at the Modern Drummer Festival. The Modern Drummer Festival is literally being at the Oscars and winning an Oscar. Mm. Like you're on stage because you won. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, you're on stage because you've already established your career and you're already well known. And I never made it out to a festival because I never had the money as a teen. Then I'm in the Navy and I'm like, oh, I got money. I'm going to go to a festival. But then I was always out on an operation, on a mission, mm -hmm. so I could never go. So my very first time going to the Modern Drummer Festival, which is a dream of mine, was on stage. And Not many people was, can say that. <laughs> yeah. So that was beautiful. So um, after the festival, um, this goes into your question. When the festival is over, everybody's in the lobby, and I'm seeing all the other musicians that were there getting picked up by a limo or, you know, getting a car service, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. there were a lot of nice vehicles and everybody was picked up. And I was there and I was like, how the heck am I going to get home? <laughs> <laughs> and and that was the very first lesson that I got. And it's like, this is real life. Mm -hmm. So the weekend was jam-packed with activities, cameras, autographs, a lot of hangouts, parties. The very next day when it's all over, what are you going to do now to repeat that very thing? Mm -hmm. I was like, okay, lesson learned. You know, don't live for that. That was just an event and you treat it as such and you move on and you're just 
blessed with the time and you just keep moving forward and just live life as an experience rather than one event searching for another event and then searching for another event. To me, I think when you're just looking for the next opportunity, always you're just an opportunist rather than a real, a legitimate person. So as you came to that realization, Mm -hmm. what was it that you decided to do? I was definitely coming to be a professional musician. I was just wanting to make sure that I never got lost in the glitz and glamour of things. So my very first professional gig was touring with Maynard Ferguson. And then after that, I didn't last long because I didn't know how to read fast enough, but I memorized everything. And my brain was just really fried. And there were just a lot of gigs coming up and I was like, I can't do this. So I was like, hey guys, I'm out. I can't hang. You know, mm-hmm. and came back home and I was like, all right, you're going to practice your reading. And I had an opportunity to audition for Spyro Gyra. And I didn't get that gig because I was pushing too much. And when you're playing at that time, I was doing a lot of um, Afro-Cuban and jazz music. So there's a lot of pushing there. Spyro Gyra is elevator music. So, you know, a lot of laid back grooviness, you know. So I went back to the basement and I'll never forget. I was practicing 16, 18 hours a day and living with my parents and I would come out of my practice room in the basement and there'll be like plates of food and aluminum foil because I missed the times to eat and my mom dropped me food out in front. So but that's what I did. And I'll never forget my dad. He was like, you're going to get a job, you know? And I was like, cause he's seen me already. Like you went from the military, you know, like established great career doing stuff there as a cryptologist and a combat search and rescue swimmer and all that. Mm. And now sees me in the basement just practicing drums. Kind of looks like, what did you just do with your life? And you lost your marriage. You know what I mean? Like yeah. this whole picture. And I was like, I'm going to get it. I just believe it. I just believe it. I can't explain it. But what nobody knew was that before I did anything, before I picked up a pair of drumsticks, I tithed 10% of my time to the Lord that day. So 2.4 hours is what I did before I did anything. I was just prayer and worship. That was it. For wow. two, 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 point, two hours and 40 minutes. Sometimes it will go to three, four hours. In my practice room, just me praying and worshiping, reading scripture, putting stuff on the whiteboard, you know, mm-hmm. and then I would go into my practice routine and things would just come to me so fast, so fluently, so with, with ease. Before you knew it, I ended up in Texas being the drummer for Heartland Church with um, Pastor Dan Dean, who's one of the singers of Phillips, Craig and Dean. And I was under... Um, his leadership and his pastoral covering. And he's such an amazing man of God. And um, took my wife and I from little old couple from New York City and just loved on us so much, you know. And I'll never forget when he looked at me, he said, uh, I don't like you. And I said, what? That was his first words when I was walking to, into his office. And he said, I know that I'm going to fall in love with you, but I'm going to have to let you go. Huh. I can tell that you're an eagle made to fly and I am just a nest. What a prophetic word. Yeah, hardcore. Yeah. And he saw it. And um, when I got the phone call to play drums with Jeff Dio, one of the founding members of Sonic Flood, he was the singer. He said, that's it. I'm kicking you out. You no longer have a church here, at least with us. Yeah. And I was like, what do you mean? He goes, I am not going to be responsible holding back what God created to go forth and impact the world. Man, what a leader. To yeah. say that to you. Yeah, like hardcore, because it's been 16 years since I've come across someone like that again. You know, as you are spending this time tithing your day to the Lord in prayer and worship and whiteboarding, 
please share some of the things that were just so profound in that experience for you? The silence, how comfortable I can be in when it's just complete silence. Just being still. Yeah, because in some of the things in the military that I was involved in, I had to stay completely silent. And one of those things, you're just like not wanting to be heard and listening out for things. Here, the silence was, I was actually being spoken to. Yeah. <laughs> and it was still silent. You understand what I mean? I do. I just cherish those moments, especially being someone as like myself. I'm an energetic person. I'm a... I'm an extra introvert. <laughs> Explain that. So if it's right there in the moment, you know, and I have to step up, I'm doing it. You know, I have someone's attention. I'm telling stories. I, I love to tell stories and all that. But honestly, I love my alone time. I can literally stay home and do nothing and just hang out and have <laughs> the best time of my life. You know? I'm laughing because I totally relate to that. <laughs> yeah. It's, you know, hey, I'm here. Might as well make the best of it. That's my attitude. So I'm going all in. But if I had my preference, hey, guys, what's up? See you later. I'm chilling at my house, watching a movie, playing drums, doing something, playing with my kids. Um, just irritating my wife on purpose because <laughs> just, that's my love language. It's just I'm irritating you. <laughs> that's the sixth love language. There's five, but that's the sixth one. I knew there was one missing, right? <laughs> yeah. It's like, it's like, you know, they say when the boy bothers a girl is because he likes her. You know, just take it as a compliment, babe. I haven't stopped bothering you. It's been 17 years, you know, actually 20. Oh man, that's funny. I'd still want to kind of dig into a little bit, Lou, that time you spent, because I'm sure people listening to this are going, whoa, you know, two and a half, three, sometimes four hours or more seeking yeah. the Lord. Yeah. It's, it's like, okay, that's cool for Lou, but what about me? How do I get into that space? Can I even do that? Should I do that? Well, my thing is like, I'm starting my day. So I was intentional. Obviously, that's like cliche to say, but the thing is that I was intentional in saying, I want to be a professional drummer. Mm -hmm. Like I want, this is what I want to do in my career. I'm giving my all. But more than anything, I was like, God, I'm putting in this time. So that way there's no limitations on my part, should you choose to use me. So therefore... I want to go for it all. I'm going to practice things that aren't played in church. I'm going to practice things that really don't need to be practiced if all I'm going to do is play Christian music, you know what I mean? Because it's yeah not that involved. Musicianship-wise, you know, like stuff like infusion or in progressive, you know, rock and stuff like that, where there's different time signatures and a lot of polyrhythmic um, stuff. But I'm going to go ahead and practice all these things. And people are like, why would you bother going into that deep, you know, and all that independence and everything? I says, because when the Holy Spirit breathes, I, I want them to know like, hey, Lou over here, he can do some stuff and then just let him use me. Like, I just wanted to be the best I could for him mm -hmm. in order for me to be used by him, Yeah, you know? Yeah. And so with that, I was like, well, then I'm going to start my day straight dedicated to him. If I'm tithing money, if I'm tithing this, I'm tithing that. I can tithe my time. And if anything, that's the most precious commodity we can tithe is time. And I'm choosing to spend my time with him. Mm -hmm. And in that, I know for a fact, he is going to tell me the things that I need to hear, whether I like it or not. But no matter what, it's definitely to get me to where he's wanting me to be, which is totally going to be beneficial to my life mm. more than whatever I can do for myself. And affect a lot of other people. Totally. I, yeah. I remember back in college, I was a swimmer and I was swimming twice a day, full course load. 
and I would get up to spend time with the Lord. We had a chapel in the basement of our dorm, and I went down there, and I would almost fall asleep every time. I was so whipped. But here's what I took away from it. God always redeemed that time I spent with him. In some form or fashion, it came back to me in the day. That was my big lesson, even in the midst of exhaustion back in college. There were things that I was saying, okay, I'm going to do this. And I hear what my friends have said when they came across this technique or wanting to learn this musical concept. And here I am walking away an hour, two hours later, like with ease. (laughs) And I'm like, they said it took them like three weeks, four weeks to get this, you know, and here I am. And it took me like two hours. Spirit of God. Yeah. There's no other way, you know, I actually lost an endorsement because I kept professing Jesus at the drum clinics when people were still in shock. How were you able to win a drum competition when all you had under your belt was four years of drumming experience Mm -hmm. with a five-year gap between two of them? Yeah. And I said, my relationship with Jesus Christ. And they would continue to ask questions. This is at a drum clinic. And the company was just like, you speak more about Jesus than the product. I'm like, this product is speaking for itself. I'm hitting it. They're asking me how I got to where I was. There's no way I'm going to take it for myself and say, oh, I practice X, Y, and Z. That's how you can get here. No, it was my relationship with Jesus Christ and practice that got me here. I'm not going to stand on the other side of the statement when Jesus says, you were ashamed of me before man. Now I'm going to be ashamed of you before my father. Nope. There are some things I don't want to hear Jesus ever say to me. That's one of them. The other one is depart from me for I never knew you. (laughs) Absolutely. So you had this shift that occurred in your heart to move into medical. That was not intentional whatsoever. Share that, please. That was not a, this is my next move. I just know that where I was in my life and the speaker's that I was surrounded by day in and day out from one conference to another, from one music festival to another, you know, Christian festival. And then they have the speaker and then one conference, whether it was a youth conference or freedom conference or anything, you know, every speaker, it was all about these things of like your purpose, what you're greatest at, you know? And I was just like, is this an early 2000 movement? Like who, who got every single speaker slash pastor together in one room and said, you're all going to dress like this and share the same message. And it was really frustrating because all I kept hearing was what you're great at, what you're good at, what you're natural at, that's your purpose and your calling in life. And I said, no, that is so wrong. It can be one of the things, or it can be an initiating thing, or it can just be your relevance to the marketplace, let's just say. But purpose, we already got anointed and received the commissioning of what our purpose is. And that was to go out, preach the gospel, heal the sick, cast out demons, and make disciples. That's our purpose. What we're gifted at, what we do, just happens to be the area that we get to do that in. I just kept seeing people make their five, 10-year plan rather than their five-year walk with God plan. You know, I don't know. I just got to this place where I was like, God, if drumming is the only thing you gifted me with and that's all I'm doing, I'm going to be very depressed in heaven. (laughs) And uh And uh, I'll never forget, it was in Minneapolis. He and I had a very intense conversation where, no no joke, I was cursing like crazy. I was dropping some serious bombs of my frustration Mm -hmm. and the things that I was seeing in the church, the celebrityism in the movement. I just, I was just fed up with it, you know, because I was just like, what difference would this been with the world? They're just using your name. 
It's like I became David, and like I had this zealous, this jealousy with God's name and yeah. people doing things in God's name, but in reality, fattening their own pockets and stuff like that. I just had a real problem with that. At the end of my conversation with him, which lasted almost four hours. So you're ranting with the father. In the hotel room, on the floor, face down, because I literally felt the immense weight of his presence in mm. that hotel room. Wow, man. And you just let it loose. You just said it, everything that was on your heart that you were frustrated everything. with. Yep. I, I literally left it all. Yep. Mm-hmm. I left it all there. Okay. And one of the things that, that I was like, I can't do this anymore. So he, I saw the no smoking sign, kind of like the Ghostbuster sign with the drum set in the middle. Mm-hmm. And it just striked right through. And above it, it said, rest in peace. And he said, you want me to quit drums? I'll quit drums. I'm done. And this is at the height of my career. I mean, I was always busy, like called like crazy, everything. I never not had a job playing drums, uh-huh. you know, thank the Lord. And um, the next day, the sound man said, hey, God told me to tell you to read Jeremiah 33.3. And I remember telling the sound man, I said, my friend Justin, I said, why would he tell you when I was with him, all right, for four and a half hours, and he didn't tell me anything except show me a picture of quitting drums? Yeah, good question. And then he was like, dude, read Jeremiah 33.3. It makes perfect sense because I didn't know why I was telling you this either. So it says, cry out to me and I will show you great and mighty things that you do not know. And I was like, what? So I prayed it and I kept praying it. And fast forward, it's my last drumming thing to do. Mm -hmm. And it was at a Christian music school called Thunder School in Nashville. And a director, Scott McLeod, came up to me and he says, let's pray for Lou. And he's praying and he doesn't know the situation whatsoever. He doesn't know. He doesn't know anything. No, no <laughs> okay. nobody, nobody knows anything. Just me and my wife. That's it. And he said, the Lord just wanted me to share with you that you passed the test. Oh, man. And that you don't have to give up drumming. You're now going to be able to keep it, but it's just going to look different. And he's going to add more to it. And I was like, what? I was just bawling like crazy. Yeah. So we ended up moving to Orlando, Florida to help a church out with the music department. Like, you know, me play, basically me play drums. You mm-hmm. know? And I was like, I don't think I'm going to play drums down there. I have a feeling I'm getting set up by God. He just wants us to be down there. We had just bought a house. We literally just built it and I had my recording studio in it and everything and all that stuff. And at this point I'm launching 99 cent drum lessons, which is something that the Lord deposited in me. And I launched it and it was looking so good and it was very successful, really fast. And then that whole both lifestyle thing, I was like, oh my gosh, this is it. It's kicking off, you know? Mm-hmm. And um, we moved to Orlando and 99 Cent Drum Lessons got shelved. And I was just down there and it was just like not playing drums. And I was like, okay, God, you have us here. And we knew we needed to be there. And we went to dinner and had dinner with some friends. And when the term healthcare was mentioned, my heart immediately erupted and I had this immense passion f- and desire to want to be involved in healthcare and learn medicine twofold to that, what I had of drumming. I look back and it had to be that way because nothing was going to take me away from that. Incredible. So you're having this casual convo with some friends, the word healthcare pops up and God just blows it up in your heart. Yeah, because we were just, I was just living a life of just like, it's always God. It's always Holy Spirit. And before we moved to Florida, uh, Ricky Skaggs prophesied over us and he said, just be children, do what children do. So we were just like, well, 
kids freely trust and they always play and they go to school. So those are the things in my head. So when this whole healthcare thing and studying medicine came up, I was immediately reminded, do what kids do. And I was like, oh, sweat, it's time to go back to school. So what did you do? So I ended up going to school at Advent Health University, which is a private Christian school, mm -hmm. Seventh-day Adventist. My GPA was so bad from high school that I was put on academic probation my first year. <laughs> I didn't, and I'm 33 and I'm on academic probation and I'm here in the school. This is my first. And they said, you need to get a 4.0 in order to keep going. I'm like, okay. How about I just keep going for all the time I'm here? So I graduated with a 3.99 GPA with my biomedical science degree. So I graduated summa cum laude and laude and valedictorian. And I got accepted to three medical schools to become a physician. But my wife and other experiences that took place that were just God moments. It was like God telling me, look, I just wanted you to know you have what it takes to go all the way and become a physician. But I need you to be a PA because you got other stuff that drumming wise and entrepreneurial wise to get accomplished. So I looked up the PA profession and it was definitely right up my alley with everything I wanted to do. And my wife couldn't have been any less, you know, right about it. Like she was dead on. And yeah. So I've been practicing three, oh, it's going to be three years now. What's your area of specialty as a PA? Emergency medicine and urgent care medicine. Okay. There's... <laughs> No pressure, man. Yeah, I guess it's just my life, you know, just being around the hustle and bustle. All that stuff is a mind blow to me. I'm looking at the trajectory of your life and the whole drummer thing, and then that four and a half, five hour time with the Lord in that hotel room. Clearly, it sounds as if that was the day it changed in the spirit and things were going to be different after that. And here you are now, a PA, could have gone on to be a physician. Clearly, you've got that skill. What are the things that have occurred as you've moved into the medical field that have confirmed over and over this is indeed where you've been called to at this season in your life? Well, I think the funny thing is that while I was still in the process, there were so many confirming things. Like I was the sole breadwinner. My wife had a part-time job and she was supervising uh, Starbucks because she was like, there's no way I can stay in four walls by myself 200 something days out of the year. So I ended up quitting. We moved to Orlando. I wasn't working. She was able to find a job, you know, with Starbucks transfer. And I started studying. And shortly after I started studying at the school, there was a position open for executive assistant to the VP. Well, I had befriended the HR secretary because her office was right outside my psychology class. And she would see that I'm always early. So we always chat up, you know. And she said, you said your wife worked HR, right? I'm like, yes. Can I get her resume? There's a position that's available. So I said, okay, get her resume. She didn't get that position, but they called her two weeks later for another position that they wanted her for. And that was the executive assistant to the VP. So she goes to the interview. When she's on the interview, she's looking at the wall and she goes, that gentleman looks really familiar on that wall. I'm trying to remember his name. And the gentleman said, Maynard Ferguson. And my wife hates this story because once again, something for her, it's like it revolves around Lou again. You know? <laughs> so it's like, oh, that's Maynard Ferguson. And she goes, that's right. That's who Lou used to play for. And the guy's face just long. It was like, your husband used to play for him? He goes, yeah, my husband played drums for him. Yep. And just she's saying it casually, right? <laughs> yeah. And then 
that's it. The conversation just goes about music because my wife was in the worship leader at our the church that I gave my heart to Christ in, and she was the music pastor. So they just kept talking, and as the conversation was going, it was like, "Hey, wait, you you know how to type, right?" She's like, "Yep." And then they just keep talking. So she got the job. Well, <laughs> first day on the job, he comes to her with an envelope, and it's check, and it's a check for my tuition that the VA, you know, my VA benefits have the GI Bill yeah. that they paid. So not only does my wife have this really good job because they were paying her well, but now she's told your husband's tuition is free. It's a benefit to family members who work here. Wow. How cool. So now the Navy is paying me and I'm like, hey, uh, Navy, here's your money because, you know, I know how you guys are. Take your money. My tuition's paid for. And they're like, no, Mr. Santiago, you paid into this while you were here in the military. This money is yours. Congratulations that your tuition is covered, but you're going to be getting a check every month for the rest of the time while you study. And it was literally 20 to 30% less. I can't remember exactly of what I was making full time. So I was literally getting paid to go to school. Everything was covered. What amazing provision. And now we need two cars because, you know, my school schedule is different. She's working there and I have to study and all that stuff. So I went to go speak at a worship conference. And literally the day before, Melissa's like, babe, we have to figure out something about a car. I'm like, I know, sweetie, we will. When I get back from this conference, we'll start looking and see what's up. All of a sudden, out of nowhere, while I'm at the conference, this young guy comes up and he's like, the Lord told me to bless you with a car. And I was like, what? So he sends us a check for 25000 and we went and bought a car. Right on. Yeah. I'm still driving that car right now. <laughs> That's awesome, Lou. Yeah. Oh. So it's it's stuff like that, you know? And it got it got to a, a family joke to a degree. It's like, because Melissa and Lou were known of just always living by faith, you know, like making these decisions that just do not make sense whatsoever. And all in all, nobody's knowing that we've been in communication with God and with the Holy Spirit and fully trusting. And it got to the thing of just like, oh, Lou and Melissa's adventures. So what <laughs> crazy thing are you guys going to do now that we're going to hear some awesome stories about? That's you know? great. Yeah. That's why I say God is real because everybody hears the testimonies of the end point, yeah. you know, but nobody talks about their experiences during the process. They just stay faithful, Lord, you know, seek God and all stuff. And that gets confusing to people. But when you, when people get to know, Dude, I didn't know where my next check was coming from, you know, when I was deciding to go to school, like in a sense, like I didn't have things planned out straight yeah. up. I did. You know, it's like a total, maybe bad thing to say to some peeps, but on the real, if you're going to be living a life of faith, some things aren't planned out, right? you know, then there's no faith. You're just operating on your own plan and hoping that it works. That's not faith. That's just making moves. <laughs> you know, faith is when there's hope for something that is unseen. I don't know. I just feel that this is where the Lord wants us to go and I'm going to do it. I'm just going to move forward to him. And I'm not making this hardcore rule that there's this one way to exercise faith. But one thing for sure is that faith without works is void. And the works is having faith that the Lord spoke to me that I'm supposed to pursue medicine and I'm making the faith moves to apply to school, get school, and he's going to meet us. He's going to take care of us because I'm still fulfilling what I believe he put before us. Mm -hmm. And next thing you know, you see the things fall into place and only God can make these things because only God can tell Lou to go to medical school when he has zero to do with medicine, zero to do with science because he took a GED in high school and had no science classes whatsoever. <laughs> yeah. Graduates top of his class. You know what I mean? I do. Only God. Yeah. Only God. I would suspect that 
someone listening to this is perhaps thinking, gosh, I would love to be able to have that kind of faith. What do you say to somebody like that who's struggling with that, who is a planner and has a hard time letting go and really just taking a step of faith? Practice what you do every day. You practice this faith, the same faith that you do in the Lord. You're just putting it everywhere else. You're having faith that when you get in your car, you're going to make it to your job. That's faith. There's no guarantee. Yeah, that you're going to sit in the chair. It's going to hold up. It's not going to break. That you're going to get on that plane and that you're getting to your final destination. How about this? How about this? And I think you and I can relate on this one. When you go over there and you bend over to pick up that book that you're going to stand up straight. I can relate to that. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? <laughs> I do. Like, like literally, it's that step of faith. It's no different. It should not be. If anything, man, it, it, it's kind of like. If you're choosing to have more faith in your natural everyday life, it's kind of like, why bother trusting God with your everlasting life? Better said, you're choosing to say you're Christian, okay? You already put the most absolute faith in something that you will rise again and live for eternity with Jesus. That's a belief, Christians. Yeah. And you're having faith in that. To me, that's a huge area to put faith that you're going to be alive for the rest of your life. And you can't put faith in things here in a temporary life, but you're putting faith that you're going to have an everlasting life. It's very practical what you just shared. If we just meditate on that and think through that, I think that's it's super profound and it can totally shift something in our lives. To me, it's one of those things where, yeah, okay, I'm a dreamer, but I dream based on the things knowing that I have the right to dream. Like, for example, like I told you, I have this, without a doubt, feeling in my bones that I cannot shake that my wife and I are going to be multimillionaires. This isn't a whole thing of like, I'm wishing this thing up or stuff. There's things that the Lord has blessed me and gifted me with and provided me opportunities to do. And a kid from the inner city from Brooklyn, my wife, a girl from inner city, Brooklyn, with no business education, no nothing, none of this stuff whatsoever. Basically, what I'm saying is like, you don't have the right to think of these things, that type of thing, you yeah. know, where people would be like, like, for example, Lou drumming, medicine, like what? Stuff like that. Yeah. Let's file it under that column, right? For me to be having these things, I'm like, I have the right to dream and to believe these things because I know the father who will support these things. I have a relationship with my father. And it is not a thing of like, daddy, give me, and he's just going to give me millions. No, I'm like, daddy, these are the things that I have before you, these are the things that I feel you're wanting me to do. Tell me what needs to get removed. Tell me and show me what I need to work on more in order to hold, steward this well. So therefore, the reason why you're allowing me and blessing Melissa, and that can then be passed on to my children to continue the call that you've placed in their life for your kingdom with what you started with our family. Lou, how can people find out more about you and connect with you and what you're up to? I'm always posting on Instagram. What's your Instagram Lou, handle? Lou, L-O-U, the drummer. Okay. So it's L-O-U-T-H-E, drummer. And then I'm relaunching 99 Cent Drum Lessons. There's a nice revamp going on. I'm finishing up my new home studio here because we just moved here to um, Florida not too long ago. So I'm putting the finishing touches to the studio. So I'm going to start filming lessons again. And that's 99centdrumlessons.com. Uh, I teach drum lessons online for 99 cents. I jumped on your site. It's a great site. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, it's a great idea. Thank you. 
Yeah. I am so grateful that you were able to spend time sharing your story, Lou. I feel like we need to dig in on another episode, potentially some other thoughts here on this because it's so powerful. As we finish up here, we'd love to have you pray for our listeners, please. Sure. Father, we give you so much thanks for this time. I thank you for Brian. I thank you for allowing us to have this this short chat on what many would think is a dense topic, a challenging topic on faith with you, on walking with you. Lord, I just pray, Lord God, that you speak subtly, but boldly into the hearts of those and realizing that it's a practical step. That is something simple that they do each and every day, but more than direct it away from you, that they point and run towards you. I pray, Father God, for the beautiful gift of increased faith. Father, your gift to us was your son, the one who empowered us to have grace in order to carry out faith. So, Father, I pray that that gift erupt in everyone's heart who's listening now as we head into the new year with your Holy Spirit, covered by the blood of Jesus Christ, empowered by grace, fueled by faith. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Lou. Appreciate it. Yeah, thank you. Hey, everyone. Thanks for listening. Please make sure you subscribe to the show and share this with someone you believe would be encouraged and motivated by these stories. Until next time, I'm Brian Robinson reminding you that the greatest decision you could ever make is to ask Jesus Christ to become the Lord of your life. If you haven't done that, read Romans chapter 10, verses 9 through 11. Thanks again for listening.